If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. CDC, as you know, is one year into a three-year pilot project focusing on providing a safer supply of drugs. And no matter what some former politicians might say, I still believe we're doing it because we are trying to bring down the number of toxic drug deaths which have reached record levels. I still believe that is the reason why so many and reluctant people got on board with this idea or didn't overtly disapprove of this idea because of the high number of deaths. And we want to try to do something about that. But increasingly, many people wonder, is bringing down those overdose deaths even possible, doing things the way that we are? So we wanted to talk more about that now. Nicole Luongo joins us now, the Systems Change Coordinator for the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition. Nicole, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. What do you think drug decriminalization means? Well, there are actually a range of policy models uh, that kind of exist when we, refer to, when we refer to decriminalization. The primary purpose of decriminalization is to reduce engagement with the criminal justice system. So it is not the same as actually displacing the toxic, unregulated drug supply with a safe and legal supply of drugs. Those are two different concepts. Okay, so do you think that what are we misunderstanding the idea? Like, are we kind of set up to fail then here in B.C.? Truthfully, there is a bit of that, and there are many reasons uh, why we've been kind of, as you say, set up to fail, but one of it is government communications. Uh, The provincial government has been very unclear from the jump with the public about what decriminalization is and is not and what it is intended to do. So I think that is set up kind of this opportunity for, as you already alluded to, the opposition parties and some some of the conservatives at the federal level to kind of point to these still escalating numbers of drug-related deaths and say that decriminalization has failed when decrim alone was not designed to actually reduce deaths. Right. But it was this was a, a huge challenging thing for any government to convince the general public to go along with, though, right? And, and they did. The public did say, okay, well, let's try this. We'll see if it works. To an extent, yes. Unfortunately, the model of decriminalization we have in BC is very kind of incrementalist. And because we have things like thresholds, which means that someone can only be in possession of a very small quantity of some drugs some of the time in some places, many of people who are using drugs, particularly those who are poor and homeless, have not actually been decriminalized. So what is the better approach, do you think? Like, what, what do we have to do to actually bring down the numbers? Well, the only way to stop drug-related deaths from the unregulated and illegal drug supply is to displace that drug supply with a regulated supply. So what we're really talking about is a sea change in how we think about and legislate drug use. A hundred years ago, alcohol was prohibited in Canada for a brief time. And many of the patterns we see around other drugs today were present during that period. People continued to drink, 
But what happened was that, A, we saw this kind of explosion of organized criminal activity around things like illicit rum running. And B, those who consumed alcohol were at imminent risk of things like blindness and death because there was no quality control or oversight throughout the alcohol supply chain. So we need to take those lessons and apply them to other drugs now. How do we do that? Uh, Well, that starts by kind of looking at the federal piece of legislation that currently makes much uh, drug use a crime. That's the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. And we have had people in the public health spaces calling for the abolition of that piece of legislation for a couple decades at this point, if not longer. Um, If you look at the history of the CDSA, it was really designed to criminalize drugs that were associated with racialized immigrants and Indigenous peoples. And from that, for over a century, we have just seen this increasing and ever increasing kind of unpredictable and volatile drug supply. Because the second we criminalize something, that incentivizes organized crime to supply it. Okay, here's what I wonder about, Nicole, because we know from the stats from the BC Corner that the people who are dying of overdoses are overwhelmingly male, you know, middle-aged or so between 18 and, and 54 and they're dying alone in a private residence. They're not dying out on the street or, you know, they're dying alone in a residence. So that, that strikes me as people then who are hiding their addiction. These are people who don't want to admit even to their friends and family that they are uh, struggling or they do have an addiction. How does this reach those people? Well, it's actually a misconception that most of the people who are dying are addicted to drugs. We know that most drug users, as with most alcohol drinkers, use drugs episodically or recreationally. However, because the drug supply is so compromised and so unpredictable, those folks are dropping dead, as you said. The, a demographic that has been hit so hard that is rarely discussed publicly are, as you've said, men in the trades. And these are people who are stably housed, who are gainfully employed, who might use drugs on the weekend or maybe using drugs to deal with things like chronic pain that comes from physical labor. And so things like addiction treatment aren't actually relevant for them. They don't need addiction treatment. They need to not be at risk of dying. But do you think that, I mean, they're hiding their addiction. So why would they go looking for a place that they can get a safe, uh, non-toxic drug if they're even hiding their addiction? That would be like, oh, I have to admit that I'm even doing this. Well, I would interrogate and consider uh, or kind of prompt everyone to interrogate why we assume that everyone who uses drugs is addicted to them. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm saying even if they want to recreationally use, they still have to go get that safe supply. How can we make them do that? Well, that speaks to kind of the very limited scope of safe supply as it stands right now. Um, The numbers around safe supply is estimated there are about 4,200 people in the province who have any access to any prescription. Now, compare that to the estimated 250,000 people who are using illegal drugs. And we can see that that is a drop in the bucket. So safe supply as it exists, you're correct, right now is only available to people who have been diagnosed with a substance use disorder. And so that excludes the majority of people who are using drugs who would benefit from a safe supply, but who don't need addiction treatment services. Okay, so you're saying that in order to fix that, we need to make it wide, more widely available? Yeah, that's correct. The you know outgoing uh, BC chief coroner, Lisa Lapointe, has made it very clear that a way out of the crisis in the short term is making drugs available to people that are safe through compassion club models. And when we say compassion club, what we're referring to is a not-for-profit framework 
for distributing drugs. So we're not enriching pharmaceutical companies. We're not allowing things like advertising. So we're not treating it like alcohol in that sense. But for people who are already consuming drugs, those drugs should be available in the quality and quantity that they are seeking. Right. That seems like a tough hill to climb right now, Nicole, doesn't it? It certainly does. But we will continue to advocate for it because it truly is the only way to stop the death. All right. Well, Nicole, thank you very much for your time. No problem. That's Nicole Luongo, a systems change coordinator for the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition. Obviously, they have investigated, looked into, studied kind of this safe supply issue. And they believe that, you know, as Dr. Bonnie Henry said, as as Lisa LaPointe has told us, the retiring BC chief coroner, that more of it is actually what's going to help out with this toxic overdose, uh, drug overdose crisis that we have there. But that's the hurdle because people are already getting frustrated. The general public is with how things are right now. I don't think, I'm not sure the public can be convinced that more is what we need. And yet I have yet to see anything, as I was talking about with Nicole there, that this will get to the people who actually need it the most, which is the people who are recreationally using, hidden from perhaps friends or family members, using alone. Um, you know, overwhelmingly, we know men in the trades are doing this, and they are the ones most at risk because they are the ones who have the highest number of fatal overdoses right now. So, what do you do about getting to those people, to getting to that group? Let's start that conversation.